to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I want to talk to you today about something you don't hear very often it, it talked about. But there's a, a word in the Bible, and uh, it's called propitiation. And I want to look at that here a little closely so you have an understanding of propitiation, what that means. In 1 John chapter 4, verse, uh, well, we'll pick it up here in verse 7. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not doesn't know God, for God is love. Now, that's some, some strong words there. You know, God loved, God loved us long before we ever loved him. You know, you think about that. He, he, lo he loved us when we were ignoring him, didn't want anything to do with him, and we were doing what we wanted to do. He, he's still loving us. See, there's people right now in the world, you know, the world is separate, celebrating this month as a pride month, but we know what the Bible says about pride. Pride comes before the fall. But you know, God loves those people. I call them the alphabet people because it it's a lot easier just to say that than to go through the, that silly thing. But, you know, God loves them people. He don't hate them. He doesn't hate them. And, you know, they're, they're caught up in that hate because they're trying to say that people that hate them disagree with them. That's not necessary. You know, Travis, you got a favorite sports team? Not really. Ron, how about you? Oh, yeah. Okay, so football team? Oh, yeah. And what's your, what's your favorite football team? Kansas City. Okay, so Kansas City. So, see, it may, not be, it, it may not be my favorite football team, but that doesn't mean I hate him because we, we, we like two different football teams. See, that's the silliness that's in the world because we like two different things. You, you try to take that and twist that and make it sound like we hate you. No, we don't hate you. You know, we ain't got time for that. But see, God loved us even before we loved it. We loved him. And he loves everybody. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't stop loving people. He loves people. Even when they're doing the silly and dumbest things that they can possibly do, he's loving you. Amen? And that's what the, that's what the scripture's saying. He says, for God is love. Look here, verse 9 says, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, what no guarantee was a might that we might live through him because what you, you, you have to make that choice. Every person has to make that choice if they're, if they're going to receive his love. Now, God's extending love to them, and love's all around them. They just don't recognize it. I think it's in, in, in Proverbs, it, it, or maybe it's Jeremiah. It says that they shall be like the heath in the desert. They, they won't recognize goodness when it comes to them. And that's what you have, people, in the world. Goodness is all around them, but they don't recognize it because they're like the heath in the desert. What's the heath in the desert? It's the tumbleweeds. You ever been out in the desert and you just see tumbleweed? There's just, 
when the wind blows, they go one direction, then they go another. And, and, and you can't use them for nothing. They're worthless. They have no value. And that's what the Word of God says, that, that people reject the, the Lord. That they, they're just like the heath in the desert. They don't recognize goodness. But see, what we do is through the love of Christ, showing that to the world, even in, in the imperfection that a believer can show it, it's still extending love to people, that God loves them. And that's what he's saying right here, that, that God sent his only begotten Son of the Lord, that we might through him live. Verse 10, it says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us, and he sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. You know, that word, a propitiation, what, what's it mean? Well, you know, it means a payment, or it means to, to, to pay the price for something. It's kind of like this. If, uh, if I were to go into Ron's garage and um, I were to take everything that he has in his garage, I say it's a garage because he's not too concerned if I go in and eat the, in, in the refrigerator and take things because he's used to stuff missing out of there. But if I go into his garage and I take everything he has in his garage and I turn around and I go out and I sell it and I take that money and I just blow it. Oh, you know, I get arrested, and the judge comes in. The judge says, you know, Mike, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you some mercy, and, and uh, I'm not going to charge you with that crime. I'm going to let you go. Well, that's the mercy of God. But what about Ron here? He's missing everything he had in his garage. It's gone. Who's going to pay for that? See, that's what Jesus did. He became a propitiation because... It has to be paid. It has payment has to come back to him. He has to be reimbursed for what was stolen him. Now I, I'm let go free, but somebody has to pay that price. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He became a propitiation because the price had to be paid. Now go here to John chapter three, a real popular scripture. John three, and you'll hear something along these lines said today, we got to really be watchful of this. You know, and I've said it to people here in church because they're in church and, you know, and, and, and they're coming to hear the word of God, but um, we got to watch as a church because there's a, kind of a movement going on around here. I'll say it just to here in a minute. Look at John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right, so everybody knows that scripture. God gave his only son that if we would just believe on him, we'd have, we'd have everlasting life. Everlasting life. So what's it talking about? Believing on him is having a heart change. Not just, you know, not just coming up to the altar and saying, you know, you know I'm going to give my life to the Lord, but it's a heart change. You come to the altar and, and um, receive Jesus, and there's something on the inside of you changes. You know it. You know it changed. Now, see, some people can say that, well, they, they said that prayer, but they didn't really sense anything change. Well, see, because you didn't mean in your heart. There's got to be a heart change. And that's what he's talking about here. But then you drop down here in the last part of John, John chapter 3. Let's look here at verse uh, 36. It says, He that believes on the Son, of, Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not 
the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, see, you, you, you hear church, you hear preachers say, you know, God's not mad at you. Hold on now. Hold on now. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, we just read it there. He said, he said God's mad at those that, what? that are sinning. And they are going to incur the wrath of God. Not the wrath of the devil. The wrath of God is going to come upon them. But if you, if you trust in Jesus, you have everlasting life. See, so you, you know, on a, on, a, on a weight, a scale, you've got on one side of the scale, everlasting life. On the other side, the wrath of God. That's why God said in the Old Testament, choose this day who you're going to serve. Were the God of heaven or the God of the world? But you can make the choice. You determine it. And you determine it every single day. Because you, as a Christian, you're, you're trying to live more like God. You're trying to be more like Him and walk in His ways. When you're not really a Christian, ah, you, you, you give it a try. You might try it a little bit, but you're not really, you know, you mess up. You, 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 it doesn't really bother you. See, you're not right. There, there was never a heart change. Now, we were all sinned, and we've sinned since we became believers, right? Ain't no, nobody in here that since you became a believer, you haven't sinned since that time. Now, because if, you have, if that's you, you need to get up here and preach. <laughs> but we've all sinned. But see, the difference is when we as believers do that, we go back to the Father and we confess our fault. We confess our sins. Because he said in his word, if we're faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, so a, a Christian doesn't really need forgiveness in the sense because they've already received that. They need cleansing. So you go back to the Father and confess your sins so that he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and if he cleanses you from all, all unrighteousness, what's the only thing that remains? Righteousness. That's all that remains. Now see, but us in our heads, we think about what we just did. And we even ask the Father to forgive us, and we know that he's forgiven us, but then we still want to meditate on what we did. Hold it, that's not right thinking. So how's that going to change? That's going to change by you and your commitment to this word and spend time with the Lord and him revealing things to you. It's kind of like peeling an onion. You peel an onion just a layer at a time. All right? And you're doing this the rest of your life because God will show you, look, I already forgave you for that. You still have to, you still have to confess it to me whenever you do something wrong, but you don't confess it out of fear. You confess it knowing that I'm going to make everything right. And yet, you still need to work on stopping that and quit doing that, what you're doing. But I'm going to make it right. That's what the Father's saying to you. Why? Because Jesus became a propitiation. He paid the price for our sins. But here, here in the Word in John, it says the wrath of God is coming on those that have not received everlasting life. So for a, a, a preacher to say, God's not mad at you, Hold on now. That's not necessarily true. If you're not a believer, God is mad at you. Why? Because, because 
for one thing, you, if you're hearing this message, you've heard the gospel. You've, heard, you've been given the opportunity to, to get free, and you're refusing it? And you're going to one day have to stand before that living God, and, and, he, and he's going to say to you, how many times did you hear the good news? And you'll say, I don't know. He said, 4,600,373. And you're going to go, wow. You know how many times I heard it. And you say, yeah, and, and, and you turned it down. Now you'll experience the wrath of God. See, there's not going to be any excuse. But when you do receive him as Lord and Savior, all right, it changes everything. And, you, and it should change in you a, a, a need and a, a willingness to grow closer to him, not spending time focused on things you shouldn't be focused on. Here we are in church... We should all be focused on the things of God and what God's saying to us, and he's speaking to our spirits right now, not focus on you know, something else, because the devil's trying to distract you. The devil's trying to get you to think about what you're going to do after church or whatever else going on. You know why he's doing that? Because he doesn't want you to get set free. He wants, you to experience, he wants people to experience the wrath of God. I'm not saying it's happening here, but it's happening in churches all, all over. All right? Let's go to a, a, another one. Go to, um, there, there's several uh, uh, places in the Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, or uh, chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And see, so we see this, this wrath of God in more places in the New Testament than just that one place we read. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It also says in, in Ephesians that, that, um, that we, we are by nature disobedient. All right? That's our nature. Okay, that's how, you, you know, you, you, you have a child and you don't ever teach them anything. Just by nature, they're going to be bad. That's their nature. So what's God doing? God, when, he, when you receive him as Lord and Savior, he's going in and he's changing your nature. You know, it's, I, you know I used to go into, into, into prisons and uh, in jails and things like that and, and minister. Not that I'm opposed to going there. I'll go there again. If they don't have a change of, uh, of receiving Jesus and their nature, they're going to go back and do the same things. You can take an alcoholic that's in prison, and you take them out of prison. You know they serve their time. They come out of prison, and um, they'll, they'll go to uh, you know AA meetings and things like that. But see, their nature's not changed. How do I know that? Well, because it happens at the AA meetings. One of the things that happens at an AA meeting is they stand. Everybody has to stand up and says, "I'm an alcoholic." Okay. Well, how you? Then if you're an alcoholic, you're never going to get delivered because that's what you're saying you are. So I'm not against AA, you know, they've got some good things, but the problem is, people, you're hung by your words. That's what the Bible says. Your words, life and death are in the power of your tongue. And if you're saying you're an alcoholic, that's what you're going to be. So see, there has to be a nature change. So somebody in prison that's an alcoholic, you know, 
you can bring them out. They'll go down to the cafeteria, get some fruit. They'll take it back to the room, and they'll let it ferment and drink it and get drunk. Why? Because that's their nature. What God's doing is he's changing our nature. He wants to change our nature into him so that you take on his nature. That old man dies. And that's a process that you and I do as we participate in his word. We come to church, we get involved in the word of God, we spend time worshiping him, and he reveals things to you. So that what? You can get set free. So that that's not holding you back. Let's look at another one here. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and uh, verse 6 it says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh, cometh on the children of disobedience. So guess what's happening? The wrath of God is coming upon this world. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> to stand up and say, you know, God's not mad at, you, mad at people, that's not true. He's, he's telling you in his word, the wrath of God is coming on people. That's what, see, when you talk about salvation, you didn't just get saved so that you can one day go to heaven. You got saved from the wrath of God. I don't care what somebody, we've heard some horrific stories of what people have gone through. They ain't seen nothing yet when the wrath of God comes. I mean, you looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there? Those people were all burnt up. And you go there today, you, you'll find remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's there. You can see it. And he's saying the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience. Go to, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's just a page over. And this is what it said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. There it is. He delivered you from the wrath to come. And there's many places in the New Testament. In Revelation, it talks about the wrath of God. In... Uh, So there had to be a, a price paid in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. God went out. Remember, God's walking into the garden and he's calling unto them. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Well, we're behind this bush. What are you doing back there? We're naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, see, they, they partake of the forbidden fruit. Mm -hmm. And they saw that the blinders were taken off. They, they saw that they were, they were, they were, their eyes were open. They saw they were naked. So what did God do? God went out and killed an animal and gave the skins to uh, Adam and Eve to wear. Now, let me ask you something, because, see, that's the first sacrifice. What did that animal do that was wrong? Nothing. 
That animal didn't do anything wrong. So what you start to see is you start to see a type and a shadow here in the Old Testament of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He did nothing wrong. And you see that play out all through the Old Testament. So God goes and gets them, you know, and kills that animal, puts their clothes on them. Go to um, Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look at that one scripture here. That's, uh, I was looking for that a while ago. We'll just go there now. Ephesians 2, I mentioned it earlier, Ephesians 2 verse 3, it says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath even as others, right? Right? We were children by nature, children of wrath. That's what it's saying. By nature, we were children of wrath. We were. We're not, we're not anymore. But remember, the wrath of God's going to come on those. So Jesus was made a propitiation. In Luke chapter 3, if you go there real quick, Luke 3, Jesus is saying this. In Luke 3 and verse 9, it says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the wrath of God. If you are producing good fruit, you're going to be cut down and cast into in the fire. So what's he, you know, the bigger thing here is what he's talking about is the renewing of your mind. Having your mind renewed. Right now, are you hearing from heaven? Are you paying attention to what God's saying? Are you busy uh, looking at something on the internet or on your phone or whatever and not paying attention? Or are you really hearing what heaven's telling you? Because he's warning you. He's warning people. And there's people that are sitting in churches today, they're not hearing this. They're hearing everything's all right. Everything's okay. Trust God. Well, we should trust God. But see, there's all, we've got a responsibility to do. And there's pictures here in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible of, of, of things happening. When we go, go, go back to Matthew chapter 1, I want to see this, show you this with Mary. In, in Matthew chapter 1, It's said to her, it says in verse 21, speaking of Jesus, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he, he shall save his people from their sins. And really in the, in the Greek what that says is he shall save his people from their sinful nature. He'll save his people from their sinful nature. How does he do that? Well, there's fellowship. When you're, when you're fellowshipping with Jesus, when you're spending time with Him, when you're taking the Word of God and you're speaking it out of your mouth, 
It's causing things to change. It's changing in you first. And then on the outside you start to see the change. It always works that way. The change happens on the inside first. And then you see it surrounding you. So see, for you or me to sit, sit back and say, look, if, if my neighbor would change or my spouse would change, then I would do something a, a little bit better. No, I'm not going to work that way. It won't work that way. You let God change you, and he'll change how you look at things, and now you can look at things with compassion rather than, than look at people and be mad at them or hate them. God loves people. But we, we, know, we all know that there are, not, or there are people that are not going to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're going to go to hell. It doesn't please God. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants everybody to have an opportunity. And that's where we come in. The reason why God has you here is so not only to help you, but so that you can minister to the lost out there. That God's not given up on them. He, and the Holy Ghost doesn't give up on people even to the very, very end when he has to. But even in those dying moments, the Spirit of God is still dealing with people. Why? That's because he loves them. He's giving them an opportunity. So see, there's people that, that maybe they'll live a lifestyle that's not godly, but in those dying moments, the gospel is re-preached, brought right back up to them in a moment of time, and, they've heard, and they'll hear a million sermons in a split second. Can God do that? Yeah, he can do that. Can you do that in the natural? No, you can't. You can't, you can't do two things at once. But the Spirit of God can. That's why there's times that I've sat in churches, and you've probably, it's probably happened to you too, you're sitting listening to a message, and you've asked the Lord a question about something, and the message that's being preached here has nothing to do with the question that you were asked. And all of a sudden, up in your spirit comes the answer to that question that you've been asking God. See? And you were, all you were doing was listening to the message. What did God do? He just showed you, I can do two things at once. I can do more than two things at once. <coughs> so all these little things that you're concerned about, worried about, God said, I've got them if you just trust me. You learn to trust me. How do you, how do you learn to do? Spend time with him. All right, so he said he, he came to deliver us from our sinful nature. Go to Matthew 8. In here we see a, 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 the story of a man with leprosy. Matthew 8, verse 1. It says, when he, was, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hands and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I want you to understand something. Technically, this is the Old Testament. All right? They're still under the law. Why? Because Jesus hadn't died and, and, and been resurrected yet. So it says in verse 4, Jesus said unto him, See that you tell no man. 
Go your way, show yourself unto the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for testimony unto them. He tells the man, offer the gift that Moses commanded you. Now, what do we do with that? Well, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 14. You know, Leviticus, that book that you probably never, ever read <laughs> because it's all the law. Well, that's where we're going. Leviticus 14. And let's look here in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take from him, or for him, that is to be cleansed two birds, alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and, he, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Now, see the type and shadow of this here? Two birds, two innocent birds that didn't do a thing. One dies, and they take the, one, the blood from the one that died and dip the one living in it to be cleansed. He says here in verse 7, And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times. Seven is perfection in, 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 heaven, in heavenly numbers. Seven always speaks of perfection. Is God in the numbers? He's the one that created them. This witchcraft that uses numbers and all that, they're just trying to copy and imitate what God already did. Don't be afraid of numbers. People freak out, well, oh, that's, that's, that, that, that's witchcraft. Where do you think they got it? They got it from God. Seven always speaks of perfection. So it says, and he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. See, there's a picture just of what happens with us. The, blood, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. No, it says sprinkling on him. It talks about the sprinkling of the blood on us. The blood of Jesus was sprinkled on us. We're cleansed. Verse 8, And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp, and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. So here's what a leper had to do. He had to shave himself completely, shave his eyebrows, his hair, everything off his body, and sit outside the camp for seven days with basically a swimsuit on. Seven days. Why? Because that priest is going to examine him. And people are going to examine him and make sure he's cleansed of the leprosy. 
Just because somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm cleansed from leprosy. No, no, that doesn't mean we're going to go for that. We want to examine you. It's no, it's no different than, you know, uh, a young guy comes in here and he gets saved. Uh, pastor's not going to let him date any of the girls in this church. No, I'm going to exam we're going to examine him. We're going to make sure he's right. Seriously. A, a good shepherd will watch over his flock. To have a young, a young guy come in here and say he's, he's saved and turn him loose on, 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 on the young girl. No, no, that ain't going to, no, 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 no. No, that ain't going to happen. You prove yourself. I think, that, I think if you're godly parents, you'd be thankful to stuff like that because you're going to do the same thing, right? You don't want just any, any, any person dating your daughter. Well, see, that's what's happening here. They were examining these people. They didn't just let turn them loose in the camp. No, well, seven days you're going to sit out here and we're going to watch you. We're going to make sure that you are delivered from this. Because leprosy was a type of sin. Now, not that the person committed sin, but you've got to understand, sickness is in that realm of sin. Because it didn't come from heaven. God doesn't have sickness. All right? It's, it's not a sin for a Christian to be sick. But you got a question is a Christian that does, sits around and does nothing about the sickness in their body. Doesn't take the word of God and use it. That's where we get in trouble. We'll talk about that a little bit here in just a few minutes when we do communion. Let's go on here. Verse 9. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head, his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two he lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish and three-tenth deals of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering. And the, law, the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering, and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. Now, you know, in, in Proverbs, God says this, there's seven things he hates. Hands that shed innocent blood. Feet that are quick to run to evil, to mischief. So, why do you think they put the blood on the thumb? and on the big toe. Because you're being cleansed from that. You're being cleansed from that. And that's what it represented. And, they kill, uh, and again, they killed all these animals for what? What did the animals do? They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. But see, that was a picture of Jesus that, Je that God was going to give his son and he would become a propitiation. In other words, he paid the price for everything you did.
Yes, God forgives you. But you always have to remember that Jesus paid the price for our sin. What we did, it, it, it deserves to be punished. It has to be, in God's eyes, it has to be punished. Sin has to be punished. That's why there's the wrath of God coming upon these people. That's what you've been delivered from. He became the propitiation for us. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. He paid it. That's what that means. I, I want to read to you a, a um, prophecy by a man by the name of William Booth. William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, Um, he lived from 1829 to 1912. He said this, he said, the chief danger that confronts the coming 20th century church will be this. Number one, religion without the Holy Ghost. Number two, Christianity without Christ. Number three, forgiveness without repentance. Number four, salvation without regeneration. In other words, a new nature. Number five, politics without God. Number six, heaven without hell. That's over 100 years ago. He hit a bullseye. He was all over it. Because there, this is happening right today. Most churches, when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, they really get uncomfortable. They'll even tell people that speaking in tongues is not for today. And I remember Brother Hagin saying this. He said, you're one generation away from losing the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he said that back in, in the 90s. One generation away. How, 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 you know, how many times do you hear people in churches talk about praying in tongues, spending time in prayer? See, that's the power of God. That's the power of God coming on you when you pray in the Spirit. Because the Bible says when you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps you. He helps you. Because... You, you can only pray in the natural. I don't know about you. I, I can only pray about 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most in the natural. Because I just run out of things to say. But see, when I get done, I'm like, man, there's, no, there, there's more that needs to be done here. Oh, help me. That's how it used to be. Now I know I just slide right on in, in praying in the Spirit. But this man's seen this over 100 years ago. Number two, Christianity without Christ. Christ meaning not Jesus' last name, but the anointing. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. The one that destroys yokes and lifts burdens. <clears throat> and again, you see churches all the time talking about, you know, come here, we'll not talk about the S word. Really? 
Yeah. yeah well, they, they, this happens all the time. They, we call them seeker-friendly churches. Most of, most of your big churches are that way. They're seeker-friendly. That's why they're, they're big, because people can go in there and get, get lost. How's a shepherd going to shepherd 1,500 people? Well, I know you have other shepherds that, that go out and they divide up. I, I understand that. But you've got 1,500 people in the service. That shepherd up there better be hearing from the Holy Spirit because there might be somebody way back there in the back that they need a miracle from God. And if that shepherd doesn't hear from the Spirit of God and get their miracle that day because they don't believe in that stuff, that person may die. Forgiveness without repentance. You know, there's kind of this attitude that uh, we see people, this attitude that, well, you know, because you're Christians, I had somebody tell me this one time, well, I know you'll forgive me because you're a Christian. That ain't repentance. That'd be like me going home and me taking my wife's fine china, getting mad at her, breaking every piece of china, and then saying, honey, I know you'll forgive me because you're a believer. Oh, we having problems if I do that. That ain't repentance. That is not repentance. And see, that's what a lot of people do. Oh, because you're believers, we don't, we don't have to make it right. No, that's what he's talking about. Forgiveness without repentance. There needs to be a turning. There needs to be an acknowledging that, look, I'm not going to do this anymore. And when somebody is adamant about keep on sinning, then here's what the Bible tells you to do. You, you, you move them out. You send them away. That's what you have to do. All right, let's go to another one here. Salvation without regeneration. <clears throat> I heard the great Billy Graham say this one time. He said, of all the people that he led to the Lord, he said he believes that less than 50% of them actually were saved. Billy Graham said that. Less than 50%. What was he talking talk about? Didn't they, didn't they come forward and give their lives to the Lord? They didn't follow through and get regenerated. Just because you come up to the altar one time and you said, you know, Lord save me, but then you went, you went back in the world and just lived like a, a pig and you, and you want to think that you're saved? I'm not judging people. I'm just saying, I would not want to be you on the day of judgment when it happens. I wouldn't have a good feeling there. I don't want to hear the words from Jesus away from me because I didn't have a relationship with you. I mean... That's what he said in the word. He said, many were in that day. Lord, Lord, but we, we cast out devils in your name. And you cast out devils in his name because you saw some preacher on TV making a big deal about casting devils out of people and how they, they, would, they would make all kinds of noises and stuff like that and, and entertain folks. And you said, hey, I'd like to do that. Well, you know what? When, when Jesus delivered people... That didn't happen. He told the devils to shut up and come out of them. We're not entertaining people here. We're delivering people. 
So what, you, what you've got is a lot of people going out there, casting devils out of people because they've seen somebody on TV do it and make it dramatic. I'm not saying that person was wrong. I'm just saying you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And Jesus is going to say to you, away from it, I didn't, I didn't have a relationship with you. That's what he's talking about. Politics without God. I don't think I have to say anything there. I have never seen a, a godless group of people before in my life like them. That's why we need to pray for our leaders. The Bible says we pray for, for leaders that, that we may have peace. That we may have peace. All right? Heaven without hell. It was just made up. That ain't what Jesus said. That's not what the Bible says. There is a hell. And hell was not even made for people. It was made for angels. That's what God created hell for. And these are, these are spiritual beings that do not have a fleshly body. It was designed to torture them. Do you think you're as powerful as an angel in your spirit? No. But you're going you're gonna to be tortured with their torture. That's the wrath of God that's coming on people. That's why it's so important to talk to people about Jesus. And we got people ignoring these things, thinking it's not, it's not real. It's very real. It's very real. This man lived over 100 years ago, and he said that. Over, uh, over 100 years ago, he said this. If I go out here hunting, I used to hunt. I don't hunt anymore. Just things have changed. I used to hunt deer. But when I was hunting deer, especially with a bow, I'd have to lead them. You know, I couldn't shoot right where the, where, where the, the deer was. I had to lead it a little bit. Especially if it was moving. Now, if it wasn't moving, then I could. You know, I was pretty accurate about 30, 40 yards away. I'd, you know, you'd lead it by a few feet if it was moving, depending on the speed. This man, 100 years ago, he hit it dead on. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's what we're seeing happen. Always remember, Jesus became the propitiation for your sin. He paid the price. He paid it. What you did wrong, what I did wrong, there has to be payment. No wonder that he stood on the cross, or he hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, you know, the passion of the Christ comes pretty close, I believe, to what really happened to him, but I don't think it tells the whole story. I don't think we could handle it. I don't think I could handle it, what really happened to him. You know, we got our communion elephants. Let's go ahead and partake of communion, of the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus said to his disciples one time, and many of them were around, he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have, you have no part of me. 
That's what he said. And most, a lot of them just left. They, it says, it said in the word, they walked with him no more. Now, it didn't mean that they, they still went back. And, I've got news for you. They went back and had church. They did. They went back and had church. They just had church without Jesus. But he said, <clears throat> he gave this revelation to Paul. He said, <clears throat> for as often as we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. Many, because they take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, many are sick, many are weak, and many have died. Not discerning the Lord's body. And what's all that mean? How many times have you been to church service? What are we going to do to communion now? You come on up, take the bread, take the cup, drink it, and let's go on. I'll guarantee you those people didn't have, they did not discern the Lord's body at all. When we take the bread, it represents his body. He said at the Last Supper, he took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He didn't say this represents my body. He said, this is my body. So when we, t I, and I'm not, he did not say this becomes my body. He said, this is my body. For as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. Well, what did he do? By his stripes we're healed. We're taking healing right now. Because what this means is, as we partake of that bread, his body is now in us. And we are in him. And there ain't no sickness in Jesus. There is no fear. So see, if you've got a problem with fear messing with you, when you take of eat of this, you discern the Lord's body and you say, hold it, hold it, hold it. There's no fear in him. And I'm taking him. I'm taking him. I'm eating of his body. That fear is no longer in me. How do I do it? By faith. So take and eat. Afterwards, he took the cup and blessed it. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. For as often as you drink of it, you do it in remembrance. And what did the blood do? It washed us clean. Don't you dare leave here today and go out to your car and sit there and think about sickness in your body or you think about what you did last week, how bad you were. Don't you dare do that. It can be fatal. It'll make you weak. It'll make you sick. It'll make you go home soon. Don't dare do that. Let's partake of it. Now, the Bible says, let the redeemed say so. Amen. I'm redeemed.